This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And before we get into our... Subject today, Ken. Main topic, if you will. If you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to read some emails, aren't we, Ken? Yeah, we, we, we've been getting a few, and I think it's time to catch up. So I'm ready if you are, sir. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first email that I'm going to share with everybody is from James Puckett. He's from Houston, Texas. It's a nice little city. Hey, represent right H-Town. There we go. We so are James the champions, writes, my friends. Just want to get that in there again. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. It's, uh, it is the truth. Good for, good for Houston. Hey, Zach and Ken, my name is James, and I just want to say big, big fan here. Every Monday morning, I look forward to the newest Standard Orbit episode. They totally helped me through my week. I also wanted to let Zach know I'm glad everything is okay with you and hopefully your family and your work and your new home after Harvey. I am in Houston. I've been here for over 20 years. I love this town, and I was worried when the new podcast episodes came on in September and you weren't able to be on them. When you came back, it oddly meant a lot to me just to know that you were safe and cool, brother. Please come by my work at some point if you like. He talks about where he's at there. I don't know if we want to share all that. But anyway, um, please come in and have a pint on me and also enjoy one of our many awesome entrees. Uh, I'm going to share it. He works at the Shepherd Park Draft House in Houston. Just wanted to say thanks, you guys. You too, Ken. You rock. Live wrong. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey, James, you know, it was a nice note that, that you sent, and um, I, I, I always like the kind words. And, and I will be the first one to tell you how difficult it was to continue to do this show with Zach not being on it. So fortunately, he had some really good guests that came in to help us out. Also did some solo acts that uh, did teach me one thing. I am not a solo act. So... Uh, I would, uh, you know, Genesis will stay together. There'll be no Phil Collins separation on that. But <laughs> it was a, uh, it was definitely a, a, a difficult and trying time. But I, I appreciate the note. And Zach, I'll, since he's addressing you here, I'll let you uh, respond to to James and then get on with the next email. Yeah, James, thanks so much, man. I, I appreciate that. And, and like I was, you know, joking earlier, man. H Town represent. Always good to talk to fellow. Houstonians and Texans and 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 the same to you man I hope everything's going well with you after Harvey you know it really affected 
everybody and and everyone is affected in some way or another you know somebody yourself were affected so and and houston i mean it, on all appearances we're, we're open for business as as has been said but you know there's still repercussions that we'll be dealing with for a while here so i uh it, but yes to answer your question me personally i've kind of settled i finally settled back into my my new normal here uh and uh you know podcasting again so again thanks ken for for carrying that uh that load for so long while i was you know putting putting the pieces back together here man but yeah life is good family's good business is good so i'm uh, i'm just happy to to be able to have the time to to take this break from reality and, and do podcasts every week now so i think one of the things uh zach that that keeps us motivated and 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 one thing that i see a common thread right either whether it's on our friends from whether it's Tim or Chris or Ron or any of our good friends there on Facebook, and there's many of them, uh, they mention that, that Monday morning thing, right? Uh-huh. Now, I know for the U.K. guys it's in the afternoon, but in the U.S., I mean, we try to drop this thing at 4 a.m. Eastern every Monday, and it's almost like we get um, we, we get very um, tenacious. We, we, we have to get up very we... early to do that, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to uh, Mr. Marquez and helping us out there getting these things launched on time. He's a he's a huge resource for us. But that where I was going was uh, it, it's very humbling to hear consistently that when you're starting your week, you want to start it with us, and um, you know that that's motivation enough to keep going. That's why it's hard if we have to miss a week or one of us can't do a show. It's not because, uh, oh, geez, we just need a break or something's going on with our schedule. We don't think about that. I honestly go back to, in my mind anyway, hey, there's a lot of people that are anxious to hear this show first thing on, on Monday morning. And that also kind of helped us direct it to keep it more of a lighter show, right? Because you don't want to start your day uh, with, with a lot of heaviness. And I know a lot of people download throughout the week, but we can see where our spike is. And, uh-huh. and Monday morning... Man, it's uh, it's a big draw. So so thanks, James, for pointing that out and in keeping us in line and making sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and getting these shows out every single Monday morning. Thank you. Yeah, and I will be swinging by the uh, the bar and, and grabbing a pint, James. So I'll, I will definitely give you a heads up and take you up on that. That sounds fun, my friend. So moving on to our next email from Mike McCannish, I believe. Uh mm-hmm. I think the I might be in a different spot on your last name, my friend. So I, M C A I N S H. So McCainch, perhaps. So Mike McCainch, um, and uh, from Canada. So greetings from our neighbors up north. Uh, and he had an email more directed at me at our last uh, our last episode, one ninety eight, the continuing mission. See how I remember that, Ken? It was from last week. So I, I gave you a number and a title. So. Well, you're sticking to the script, Zach, right? <laughs> Don't go beyond two episodes when mentioning episodes from you. So that's good. Um, but Mike says, hey, Zach, I listened to your episode of Standard Orbit on Star Trek Continues. It was a great episode. However, I have to disagree with you about one thing. I liked how Star Trek Continues ended. I did not watch the original series before the movie, so that extra bit of footage at the end helps to bridge the gap between the end of the series and the movies. Watching all of Star Trek Continues has inspired me to watch some of the original episodes. The original series should have ended in a similar way, with a wrap-up for the characters, especially if that was the last Star Trek ever made. I look forward to hearing this on the next show where you have heard it, my friend. There it is. Uh, and let me uh, <laughs> let me respond to it. Um, you know, I, I just feel like I think there's certainly a, a place for connecting the dots, and I know that was all their intention um, with, you know, literally connecting the end of TOS to the beginning of TMP, as we call it here in these parts. But 
I, I just I don't think they needed to literally go down the checklist and do every last thing to explain. It's it's uh, it's a lot like and I, and I believe I mentioned this on, on the last episode, but it's like the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, or not not that Last Crusade, excuse me, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's that little sequence at the beginning where Indiana Jones is on the train, uh, and he learns how to get a whip, and he gets his scar on his chin, and he gets his hat from the other, <laughs> you know, the uh, uh, the other archaeolo- archaeologist guy. And it's like, man, th- everything we know about this guy was was taken care of in, th- in this five-minute span that we happen to see. And it, it, it's a case of prequelitis, I think, you know. And I, I just, and I look, look, as you heard me gush for a long time on the last episode, I love Star Trek Continues, but I do think we didn't need to see, oh, hey, look, here's the arrowhead symbol that you had guys had on your ship. Now it's going to be everywhere. And, oh, hey, how that counselor program work out for you? Oh, it was good. Or now it's going to be on all the ships. And, oh, look, here's your promotion to Admiral. And here's your new uniform. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, oh, we're going to pull into dry dock in the same spot where you're at two and a half years from now. Uh, and even the, <laughs> you know, even the little pods and the little guys in their spacesuits. Fun to see. Fun fan service. But the stuff I liked best about Star Trek Continues was not the call forwards it was more like the what if this was an episode in 1970 right that's what was like a a truly lost episode of star trek that's the stuff that got me the best so um so that extended epilogue if you will to the finale is is something they obviously never would have done in like 1971 um fun to see you know like we saw you know vacant in the admiral kirk uniform from the motion picture and he, he filled it out well looked great but I just I don't know like I just I, I feel like that was a little too like here here's every last thing to get you to where we are in the next movie with with nothing left of the imagination um, I don't know I just think I think there there could have been a little better balance there in my opinion so that's and look it's nitpicking because I did I love continues the finale was, was great on the whole I just I just felt like we could have had more of a ending like the end of Star Trek six or even the ending of the motion picture where it's like, you know, second star of the right, start on the morning, you know, let's take the long way home. Something like that. A little more a little more fun there because it was a heavy episode, you know, and just to have it just it all drag out there at the end with like, Oh, Spock's leaving, now McCoy's leaving and Kirk's upset about how everything went and he took a promotion. So that that's just that's just my take on it. I'm sure that there's gonna be a lot of opinions about exactly how they chose to end it across the board, but you know, we we've seen the, the five year mission, we've seen the final mission in so many ways across the mediums over the years, be it in books or comic books or now fan films. So I mean there's there's many ways to, to look at it and, and this is just one of those, but it does it does feel the most official because you know it's on screen it's 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 a it's a it's the same format as the original series was so so those are my thoughts again um and yeah if, if anybody else has any opinions on that please please let me know and and, and all that to say i do highly recommend it uh to boldly go parts 22 star trek continues series finale for the original series well there it is <laughs> uh i, I think the ad can <laughs> Well, I, I hear where you're coming from. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I know I, I, I didn't get to do that show with you guys. And um, I've seen most of the Star Trek continues. I've probably seen them all by now. I was trying to remember if I was ever gapped in one. And there was a kind of a space. But, you know, when this last one came out, uh, the last two episodes, I was pretty excited to see it. And I'll tell you a couple of things that just give Vic a lot of credit for. One, um, really pulling the show. Th- that, that does not look like some kind of fan quality show. I mean, this thing is... It's world class. I mean, it's it's just world class uh, across the board, and and the way they they do the production of it was just just amazing. Um, 
and pulling in the original Romulan commander's daughter to play the Romulan command. I mean, just she probably looked the most authentic of all the characters, huh. right? I mean, she really looked the part. Uh, it's it's tough sometimes to to transpose uh, the other actors, uh, you know, into uh, to the original cast, but they do a very very good job of it. And um, I thought it it ended well. I I guess I was a little bit probably not as um, Probably not as harsh, I guess. I don't know if it's the right term. Was <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed the ride, but like you, it's it's really hard to put a lot of things that you've put into your head and seen it a certain way. And when it's on screen and it doesn't kind of match up to the way you thought it would work or the way it it's different, but yeah, you know, again, they they uh, they, they they hit the checklist and and they covered everything and. Uh, you know, when Star Trek The Motion Picture first started and, and all that, you know, they, they kind of retroed it back and you got a pretty good idea for what happened. Mm-hmm. But you are right. They were very literal. You know, here's even with the promotions of everybody. Like, like you know, I just not to be not to be harsh because I do love the show, which I feel like I've it's established. But that scene with him and Admiral Nagura, who we finally get to see, right? Just goes on for yep. so long. They talk about every single plot point you could possibly, <laughs> you know, think. Of. I mean, there was definitely a checklist to go down, you know, and that—that's fine, though. I mean, it's just because that is what happened, right? They just well, and, it, and right? I, that is what happened. And of all those things, and I said this in, in last week's show as well. I I really liked them explaining Spock going through the colonar. I thought that was a very clever way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. get, you know, getting pushed to the edge, and not just for you know spoilers, uh, a loss of a certain character, but also like how it affected his command decisions as well. So he truly felt like his, you know, his his position in Starfleet was compromised based off his his emotions. So uh, a very logical decision at that point. Emotions are the problem. I'm gonna go purge him. So that was that was a that was a great A to B connection point. And that, that, if it was just that, I would have been fine with just that. You know, I, everything else was mm-hmm. just extra at that point. But uh, but yeah. So, hey, I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm going to nitpick. <laughs> so Star Trek fans are going to Star Trek fan. So that's what I'm doing with all those comments. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like we said before, it's it's hard to uh, to put all those pieces together. They they gave it a – I mean, they, they, they put on a brilliant show uh, with some phenomenal concepts, uh, some top-rate acting, you know. Uh, I mean, no show is perfect. Uh, even when we go back and we watch the original series and we're going to be talking about an episode in a minute, you know, even then you just go, wow, even, even first class actors sometimes, you know, kind of skip or a beat here or there. <laughs> so I, I think overall, um, just, I give Vic and his team a lot of credit and, and, you know, I don't know if you've talked to a lot of the other cast members or some of them, but uh, I'll tell you all of them, just class acts and nice people. Absolutely. And, uh, they they really did a beautiful job with it. So it was fun to see it on screen. You know, like I said, uh, to me it was kind of there was there was a little bit of a checklist thing there, but it was okay. Yeah, and then uh, one last point on that, I actually had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Vic uh, with our friend Tony Robinson, who was on last week's show, uh, hosting Continuing Mission, and that's going to come out uh, on the next episode of Continuing Mission number forty three. So keep it keep an eye out for that. On uh, and I'll be sharing that on my own social media when that goes live. It should be. By the time this uh, show drops, it, it should be out there already. So, guys, go go check it out. Yeah. Did you tell them how you felt? Uh, not. I didn't listen. <laughs> not in so many words. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. <laughs> I, I, had, had I been in person, face to face, the nuance of my net baking would have been more appreciated than you know over the internet. So I just said, you know what? But if I received a person, I'm like, so what? Did you really need to put on the uniform now? <laughs> <So laughs> but anyway, we move on. 
Yes, we do. We do. Uh, I'll see if I can find him on Facebook and, and attach the last episode of Standard Orbit to it. Like, yeah. <laughs> With time does codes. This marry up? Does, does this marry up to your interview on continuing mission? Anyway. Uh, so today, we're going to be going back to Star Trek Season 2. And the original concept of this episode, you know, Zach and I have been for a long time throwing out these these origin concepts, right? Uh, Star Trek, or where did things start? How did they carry on? And, and how did they go throughout all the different series? And that was one of the ideas that we were putting forth with the episode of Metamorphosis and, you know, meeting Zephyrin Cochran. But there was a lot of things in that episode. And I think both of us, as, re as we rewatched this again, and it had been a while for me, um, the episode itself deserves its own podcast. And we can we can hit on some of the things that definitely... Uh, were, were spawned by this and that have continued on across the um, all the different series and movies of Star Trek. But that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the Season 2 episode, Metamorphosis, the finding of Zephyrin Cochran, and that whole adventure. So I'm going to start off with you, Zach, just from a, from a high level, uh, going back and, and re-watching this episode after you know quite a, quite a bit of time has passed. What were your initial thoughts of it? Well, I, you know, honestly, this is not an episode I, I've revisited that often. I feel like it gets lost in the shuffle. There's so many great episodes of the original series, obviously. And and mm -hmm. this one, I've, I've I always remembered this one. I was like, oh, yeah, the companion, the, the yellow blob of energy and Zephyrin Cochran, yeah. But that, that was pretty much the extent of my memory of it. And then, of course, the, the ending. I remember the ending. It's, a, you know, it's like a Twilight Zone episode, right? Where, like, you remember the ending, but you're like, how, how do they, what do they spend the, the rest of this episode for? <laughs> you know, because they land on this planet, they meet Zephyrin Cochran, the companion is around, and then she saves the life of the dying diplomat, and they live happily ever after, right? And But, like, it was interesting to sit down and actually watch the episode see it all unfold. And, boy, this is a, this is a great episode of Star Trek. If Star Trek is about exploring the human condition like there this episode the, the, it's hard it's hard to get better than this particular episode when it, looking at that angle because there's so much to unpack here and then also the characters are in top form you know kirk spock and mccoy are all in you know top form of like completely crystallizing who they are and respond to the situation exactly as you would, how you would expect them to respond uh and then you know the classic you know they all have their own point of view on it and you know like kirk and spock are both have you know they they, they come, not that they come to true conflict but they they they're approaching it attacking it from two different points of view a lot in this episode and and mccoy of course balances them out and they all balance each other out and that's what's so great about these three guys and and just you know to to, to see them deal with the situation isolated from the ship it, it just it's really it's just a great episode you know and and i should definitely put it in my rotation of, of rewatching more than it has been so I, I'm completely aligned with you on everything you just said perfectly. And one of the things that it tells me, too, is when when I go back and, I, you know, schedules being schedules, and, and I know everybody in the planet is busy, it's it's tough to do lots of um, rewatches uh -huh. and things. But, you know, when, when, um, when I first came on Standard Orbit a year and a half, two years ago, whenever it was, we really started to look at you know lists and things and and kind of said okay let's let's look at this a little differently when we look at our favorite episodes and so forth. I don't really remember this being mentioned on any of them, right? And it's it's a it's a pretty key episode. So you you, you go down and whatnot, but if you don't really go back and rewatch them, I'm finding for myself, then then you miss a lot of the nuanced things because memories fade. Boy, I can tell you that. And and when I when I go back and and when, you know just watch this very recently. 
I was absolutely, you know, smiling from ear to ear on just what a great, quote-unquote, Star Trek episode this really was. And for those of you that are, are getting into Discovery and have gotten into the new shows, I'm sorry, the new movies, or come from a different era and you haven't seen this episode, highly recommend it. Uh, to give you a quick, quick overview, essentially, the shuttle is captured by an entity brought to a planet they find... Zephyrin Cochran, yes, the Zephyrin Cochran, who, you know, discovered the warp drive. Um, he's been, he, he, he essentially went out to space to, to die in peace at the age of 87. He's been rejuvenated. He's about 35, 40 years old. And this companion, this entity, essentially has taken care of him and brought uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a uh, female commissioner, Heparin, to the to the planet for companionship because he was lonely. And then the whole episode is about, you know, um, first taking a very aggressive stand against it, trying to force their way out. And then another piece of it was, well, how do we, how do we solve this diplomatically? The whole time the, the Starfleet commissioner needs to get to medical treatment because she's dying of a rare disease. So it's, it, that's just this quick, quick synopsis of the episode. But what happens within it is pretty intense and pretty special, and I think that uh, it should be called out. I, I, it's it's hard to, is it a top five, top ten, two twenty? I don't know. All I know is that it is a uh -huh. top episode in the whole Star Trek uh, library, and probably one, if you think about it, because there's so many things that come out of this episode, should be a must-see if you're one of those folks that are trying to get from the very beginning to where we are right now today in Discovery. Yeah, you know, this episode, it really does epitomize what episodic television can be as well. You know, we talk about all these continuing stories and whatnot. I feel like this is, this is a great self-contained story with these guys. And it, it, you almost, you're with them on this planet almost the entire time, you know, watching it back. I was like, you know, do, do, we, do we not cut back to the Enterprise at any point? And, you know, we eventually do about half an hour into the episode. It's like, Chief Engineer Scott in charge of that episode. It's like, oh, okay, wow, I guess they are. They do have a little subplot here. They have, you know, two or three scenes. And uh, it's one of these, you know, I, I, I realize this now you know, as we dive more into the original series, you start to, we, I mean, it's our quote-unquote job, right? We, we, we look mm -hmm. at uh, recurring themes and whatnot and tropes, and it's just another episode of the Enterprise is just completely just ineffectual, and there's really no reason to cut back to them at all <laughs> because it's like, oh, we're going to find them. All right, there's thousands of planets. All right, we're going to search them one by one. And the next time you see him, you know, of course, the communication has been fixed, and Kirk calls him, they come pick him up. <laughs> it's that simple. You could have done without all those scenes. Um, they might have run out of plot, though, you know, on the planet. So so I'm glad they had something else to cut to. But, but yeah, just just seriously, if, if, if you – and that's a great point. I, I can't put a number on it, like 5, 10, 25. But it is a top episode of Star Trek. And if you wanted to, like if, – if, if, you, if you assign someone the task of showing someone – a collection of episodes of what Star Trek was all about. This would definitely be in that collection. I think it really epitomizes a lot of what it stands for, the exploration of the human condition, universal truths about humans 100 years from now or 300 years from now or 300 years ago. And also, you know, written by Gene Kuhn, who, you know, it, the underrated Gene in the history of Star Trek, I mean, who established so much of, of what we know. And this is in the, the core of season two here where he was really you know, running the show, literally. And you know, another another great episode that set up a lot of things in addition to all the themes here, uh, just universal Star Trek truths like the universal translator, right? 
that's that is introduced here. And then also, of course, Zephyrin Cochran, Zephyrin Cochran from Alpha Centauri, right, Ken? We remember that from First Contact. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny you, you, you do say that. I um, I took that as not so literal um, because the whole front part of the episode, he's talking about you're from Earth, you're human, mm-hmm. uh, and and so forth. So. You know, my my guess is, um, and not to, to just retcon anything, but... No, we would I, never I do that, say, no. You know, we never do that. I, I, I didn't think that he was from Alpha Centauri. I, I just took it that that's probably where he wound up mm-hmm. uh, once he once he developed his whatever. You know, like a lot of people go and retire to places. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I quite literally thought that. I did not think he was from another planet because of the setup on the front end, what does not align. At all, that's um, true. With with that statement from from Alpha Centauri, he's only talking about Earth, being from Earth, um, Earth people. You speak English, all these things. It, it's it it's really, like they uh, it's like they threw it in there to be just a little more sci-fi, you know. Just to say, yeah, we're in outer space yeah. now, <laughs> uh, you know that that type of thing. But I, I you know, I kind of just... now you know um, I love poking at poking, poking at those those uh, inconsistencies, perceived or not, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, like I said, it is funny because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter you know, at all. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. And, but, yeah, it, it is funny as being, I, and I fall into the trap, folks, we all do as Star Trek fans. Well, wait a moment. You know, this does not put here, and you, you put your fingers here, and it's go. oh, no, this is supposed to be over there. And you, you keep playing with it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just what we all do. It's just what we all do. So, you know, this episode had, had a lot of those types of things. You know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're in the, the last third of season two, and I've never heard of Starfleet Command referred to as the Starfleet. Yes, the Starfleet. Said, <laughs> Many the times. Starfleet. Take, they said that several times. Take a times shot every time they say the Starfleet, right? Yeah, the Starfleet. You know, the Starfleet Medical Corps missed this, and the Starfleet didn't do that. And it was just, okay. You know, it was, it was different. The... Um, the the show itself though let's let's talk about some of the yeah the let's get into it yeah hits let's get into the human condition a little bit you brought it up and it's funny the uh, the views you have the lens I have on things uh, when we were off mic before the show just kind of talking about some of the things and in in the human condition and one of the things that I, I really liked about this for, uh, from my perspective was the way Kirk addresses things right um, very militaristic he's in command. If anything goes wrong, it's his fault. He even states that in the show. And he sees this companion pretty much as a threat and an obstacle in order for him to complete his mission and take care of his people. And so he takes that directive. You know, we are going to try to defeat it. We are going to try to take it out even if we have to because we have responsibility to stop a war and everything, which at the end was very casual. We'll get to that. And oh, then, yes. Um, oh, yes. Right? And then it flips to... You know, uh, McCoy, who plays that pivotal pivotal role in Star Trek all the time as as Kirk's confidant. You know, you're you're so used to acting like a soldier. Why don't you don't you remember that you're also a diplomat? Maybe instead of a fight, you should try the carrot. And it changes the whole dynamic of the show. And I I, I love that piece of it. And there's some other elements of that human dynamic that that you brought up, Zach. But that was that was my first one. Yeah, there's this preconception in pop culture, right? It's like Kirk is a shoot first and ask, ask questions later, and, and he's not he's not like that all the time. But he, he, you know, he is in this episode, but he's completely justified in it. I think. I mean, because this is not this is a powerful alien force that has you know literally snatched them out of space and marooned them on this planet. I mean, you have to 
you have to assume malicious intent when something like that happens. It's like, oh, no, it was just a misunderstanding. I mean, it, it turned out to be because she was, you know, the companion was just fulfilling Cochrane's desires for compa- companionship. But, you know, that's... They, you know, they had somewhere to be. They're, they're on a ticking clock here. You know, this uh, this diplomat, she's going to die. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, Kirk doesn't want that, that to happen on his watch. So they, you know, shift from the stereotypical, like, we're going to kill it, to let's communicate with it. You know, and it becomes more, you know, uh, Picard-esque, if you will, right, as, as the episode progresses. But I don't think I don't think you can fault Kirk for, for his response. I mean, even, even Cochran's like... Yeah, you know, it helped me a lot, but you guys are right. You know, it's kind of stuck me here and stuck you guys here, and this woman's going to die, and we, we got to do what we got to do. I mean, it's, it's he's, he's put in a tough spot because, I mean, the companion, it saved his life, rejuvenated him, it sustained him for so many years. And it's like, I don't know, it, it kind of made me feel like, because um, they talk about, they try to pin, like, what is this relationship like between Cochran and the companion for a lot of the episode because they're not, until they can actually communicate with it. And it kind of, I don't know, it kind of reminds me, like, uh, if I was thinking, like, a like some guy living in the wilderness and he has like a, like a grizzly bear that's his friend or something right <laughs> but they have to like well <sighs> we got to get out of this cabin and it's not gonna let us go we're just gonna have to shoot it man you know <laughs> that's that's kind of the, the the vibe i got at the bit you know at the beginning but then you you find out more and more about it and it's a lot more complicated um relationship than that so yeah i i <laughs> I like that wilderness grizzly. Now I've got Grizzly Adams in my head. <laughs> <laughs> She's Ben, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of people going, what the hell is he talking about? 1970s, late 70s TV. So, um, no, good good call out. Let's talk a little bit about um, Commissioner Hepburn mm-hmm. a little bit. Let's do that. Yes. So here we are. This is 1966, 67. And um, we have a, a, a diplomat and assistant federation commissioner uh, off to stop a war on a planet. And she has some, some very rare disease that she was not inoculated for by the Starfleet. Hmm. And she's not a happy puppy no. at all. Right? She is a... Um, she's placing the blame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and she's ticked because... Well, one, she's got the disease, but two, it's keeping her from, from her mission, and she's a driver. And she's very abrupt, and she's very direct, and, and, and tough, and all those things. And, you know, this was another thing that, that we were talking about off mic, is you have a, a tough, professional, driven woman character. And, you know, you're looking at her, and, and, and she's coming off just like, uh, you know, like a hag, you know, just what is wrong with her and, and all that stuff. But if that same commissioner was male and Zephyrin Cochran became Sally Cochran, right, huh. um, they wouldn't even be batting an eye at, at this person's attitude towards things. And uh, it, it's just funny the way that, that women, when they're portrayed like that, um, can come off. And, and the reason I say that is because of the way the episode ended, right? Um, there's a there's a key part in this episode where when Zephyrin Cochran realizes the companion actually loves him, right, and not being a human entity, he finds that pretty um, pretty scary, uh, repulsive. I think might be the right word, and he he he's he's resentful of it, and we start to see more of a softer side of the commissioner as she's as she's you know slowly suffering from this disease, who's literally 
you know, laughing and crying at the same time because she's never had love. He's running away from it, uh-huh. and she would, she's never had it in her life and would rather run towards it. And it was just a fascinating dynamic. And then by the end, when the companion combines with her, um, you know, she's this very soft, sweet, loving individual. Uh-huh. Now, I know it's a different character because it's probably mostly the companion that's speaking. But it, it does, I guess, kind of pull us full circle as to how women are to, quote, unquote, behave versus how men are, quote, unquote, to behave when they're in professional uh, positions like she is, very very high-level political positions. Yeah, it's like that classic, and I don't want to call it like a trope of fiction, it's like a trope of society, where it's like you can't be... It is, you, it is. <laughs> you can't be a, a, a... Even today. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's like, it, it's when you're a woman, you like have to choose. It's like, okay, you're going to be like a career woman, or you're going to be like a family woman who has uh, in touch with your emotions, or you're going to be completely cut off from everybody and no nonsense. And like, no, you, you know, there is a middle ground for that. You know, guys, have, you have the same... Men have the same issues where it's like balancing just like, you know, work and career and then also like being in touch with your emotions and connections and relationships with other people. And that's just like adulting, you know, <laughs> that's just, you know, having to figure that out. Well, it's it's a Hollywood thing. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, I think of I think of guys that are portrayed in the military, senior leaders. Right. Every friggin one of them has a cigar. <laughs> Every one. And I, I mean, you go to any movie, you'll see like all these admirals around and generals around pool tables with cigars. It's the stupidest trope I've ever seen. <laughs> and they're all hard-nosed, warmongering hawks, right? Well, that is not <laughs> anywhere near the different leadership styles in the real world. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that with the women, it's the kind of the similar thing. You know, she's cold, she's this, she's that. Because she's not quote-unquote feminine, guys are... You know, have, have got this this attitude towards things, and and even in this episode, she keeps explaining the importance of her mission, even though the shuttle has been taken over and they're completely helpless to do anything. There's clear. Yeah. I need to do this. We need to do that. How are you going to fix this, right? And Kirk is like, you can see the situation. You know, if there was something I could like, do, you, I you would. know much. About, you know as much about it as I do right now. <laughs> and that's exactly what yeah. he says. Right? That's exactly what he says. See, so, yeah, it, it is. It is interesting, and um, it's kind of one of those more frustrating tropes. It's, it's one of those things where I, I think that um, it plays off. Uh, in, and like I said, even in today's society, which is crazy to me, uh, when you when you see those characters, it, it's funny how unlikable. Uh, they initially mm-hmm. are, and that in almost every trope they come around by the end. This one, for a very different reason, by the way. It isn't like she, she, she discovered a different side of herself. She is someone, right? Else. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and the, you know, they, they had a lot of the focus here was on Zephyr Cochran and the companion. You have this other character in there, and she's sick for most of the episode, I and mean, that's part of the plot. You know, she's she's gonna die if they don't get her medical treatment on the Enterprise. So. They have to do a lot with her and not a lot of time, so they have to establish kind of how she is and then keep that frustration, you know, her being frustrated about their current position because she's, you know, someone who has always been in control of everything and now she's completely out of control, not just her sickness but also, like, the situation they find themselves in. And, you know, then we have that, like, as you said, Ken, that one scene where she overhears Cochran talking about the companion and, and we kind of see that softer side of her, some regrets about, like, you know, the road's not taken, if you will, in her life. And... um mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, it, at the end, you know, because uh, we're jumping all around here talking about the episode, at the end, you know, it's it's kind of a, it's a win-win for everybody, right? Because the companion loves Cochran, but he cannot love her in her, you know, current state 
Um, and I, I, you know, I actually found that interesting as well. You know, Cochran being a, a man from 150 years before, he, he has less of an open mind about these things than Kirk, Spock, and McCoy because they're just they're sitting around talking about it with him, and they're like, didn't seem to have a problem with this before for the last 150 years. You know, what's the deal, man? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's disgusting. It's alien just in my, you know, inside me and in my mind and all this stuff. And uh, especially Spock just finds it very fascinating, <laughs> you know, classic human behavior. <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, I mean, there. so the companion needs a body. There's a body here from the commissioner. She's going to die. The companion said earlier that she couldn't save her life. I don't know if she was just saying that just to, like, you know, hey, guys, you're stuck here. Deal with it, you know, earlier in the episode. Um, but she fuses with her, and they become a, you know, kind of two-in-one entity. You know, it's a new entity, as you said. But but as you also said, Ken, I feel like there's a lot more companion in there than the than the commissioner. Mm-hmm. We kind of have to trust the companion. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're both in here. It's like, well, you sure? Like, I mean... Can we ask you a few questions? Like, I don't. <laughs> you seem really different. Um, but, but that is a nice. I mean, you can nitpick all these things to death, but I, I, do, I felt like it was a very heartwarming story for all parties involved. You know, um, it, it was. And I really like. And I really like the. Um, the scene where at the you near know, the end where she's hold, she's had this scarf on, the whole episode, right? The, the commissioner. And at the end, after mm-hmm. she's fused with the companion, the companion, Zephyr Cochran's talking, and she holds the scarf up and, like, looks at Cochran through the scarf, and that's how, obviously, she would have seen him her entire existence so far, you know, being the companion, being the cloud. And I thought that was just a right. genius um, directorial move. And that was actually, you know, I, I did a little research on this episode, Ken, and that was actually just complete happenstance. Uh, they, they had this... Um, uh, Ra- Ralph Sineski, the director, you know, came up with that mm-hmm. on the set... Because you know, he noticed like, oh, like this, uh, the scarf looks like the, you know, the what we're going for with the companion here. Let, let let's do this little moment here. And to me, that's actually one of the things that that stuck out about this episode to me that stuck with me over the years. Because you know, we talked, we were just talking about how how we don't revisit it as often as other episodes. But I, I remember that image. You know, I thought that was such a, such a clever artistic thing to do, and such a nice little, you know, no dialogue in it. You know, just just a nice moment there of of just the companion like connecting the life that was for her and the life that now is. So. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. That that was that was pretty special, and you love those moments. And um, you know, one of the things that highlighted for me too was the sacrifice that people put forth. You know, in in in, in the name of or in the cause of love, and what the companion gave up, right, to uh, to join with the commissioner. She gave up everything. I mean, mortality. You know. And, and to me, when they were having that conversation at the end, and it, it is funny as you get older because you, you think a lot more about mortality, the, um, the way that they, the, they all were talking about life and death, you know, and uh, that, that it came off almost like it wasn't that big a deal that she gave it all up. And they're like, but don't you realize you're going to die? And um, yeah, but we're going to die together. And isn't that worth yeah, it? Yeah, right? at, at the end. It was very interesting, very, um, I, th- I thought a very special, wonderful message, um, but a very deep one. And uh, it just, it had, it, it took me aback a little bit. Well, you know, it really did because it's like life is, it, it's, it is very limited. It is to be enjoyed for every, for every second you can. And, uh, but 
Well, yeah, just a fascinating conversation at the very. Well, yeah, well, there. it's it's actually like Spock, especially. It's like, hey, you're gonna you're gonna get old. You're gonna die. Like, <laughs> it's like they're like trying to talk yeah. him out of it. It's like, and he tells him like, that's been happening for men and women since the beginning of time, guys. It's fine. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> so you act like yeah. it's like the worst yeah. thing. Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna grow old and die like the rest of us. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's yeah. interesting I, their I mean, argument but there. But think about yeah, and and flip it right. If that were you and you had a shot at immortality. It wouldn't be that that casual discussion if you didn't have a reason to to grow old. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen many stories too, right, where people who live a long life and and they suffer horribly because the people that they love don't age. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they Hi- age Highlander, and they go. You know, they that's the whole go. thing with the Highlander. Go. Yeah. Well, Highlander. Yeah. I mean, and we we kind of seen it in uh, in some other in some other Trek episodes too. But it, it's just. Um, I, I just thought it was it was a very good, very special message, but it is a um, a concept I think that I wonder how people would would respond to that. And I thought it was a great message, you know, her sacrifice, and then Cochrane coming absolutely full circle, uh-huh. who was looking forward to seeing the um, the expansion of what he created, you know, the ability to travel at warp speed and to to explore the galaxy. Uh, you know, he was thrilled about the idea of getting up there and seeing what had happened in 150 years since he passed away or was, you know, missing, and uh, decided to stay with her. Yeah, I mean, you know, just the two and of it's them. great because you know? all that stuff didn't matter to him anymore once he had, you know, found love, right? Because Kirk even tries to say, "Hey, there's a whole galaxy out there waiting to honor you." He's like, "Oh, I have honor here enough," you know. And that's just that's a great again a great message about like, like just be content with with what's going on and and. Yeah, it would be super exciting for him to see the new, the, the way the galaxy has evolved in the last hundred years, and then and then to, of course, be showered as this historic hero, right? But you know, it's, he's not interested in that anymore. You know, he's gone past that, and having had a taste of immortality for the last hundred fifty years or so, he's burned out on it. You know, I mean, like it's easy for Kirk, Spock, and McCoy to say, "Hey, hey, don't that's what are you doing, man?" You know, but but he's like, "Look, trust me, I've had experiences you guys have not had." Trust me on this one. It's better this way. And the companion, you know, gave up. She gave up all her powers. You know, she and and the biggest sacrifice is she cannot leave this planet. You know, that that's the thing. And and mm-hmm. she knew that. She didn't tell anybody that until the end because she didn't want Cochran to feel bad. But he chose to stay with her after all. Uh, and she was completely fine with him leaving too. She's like, look, if it was just only for this one hour to spend together like this, it was worth the sacrifice. So and that's you know that's that's. That's real love, man, right? Even for one minute of, of, of true happiness, right? You you give it all up, and that's that's what she does in this episode. So, and, and because she has, you know, the companion, the, the entity has a great character arc because it's very, it's it's selfish at the beginning, but it's a, it comes from a place of misunderstanding. You know, Kurt kind of has to educate her on what, you know, existence is all about, you know, or life, you know, because, yeah, Cochran, like, she, she keeps saying, oh, well, he will continue, he must continue, he will he will function, right, he will eat, eat, sleep, and breathe, and all that stuff, all that normal stuff, but Kirk's like, yeah, but his soul will die from loneliness, you know, and, and he can never love you this way, and, and just, just getting that, getting those points across, because there's a lot to be said about, you know, existing and living, and there's a difference, and Star Trek touches on this theme a lot actually you know in episodes like um this side of paradise or in the apple or episodes like that kirk you know he, he really gets if, there, if there's a hill kirk wants to die on on this show it's like no humanity must have struggle right and like and you know almost like beyond you know uh with uh crawl's whole point and beyond like without without uh without struggle you know what what is life all about so it's interesting interesting themes there that kind of as we were talking about the echo on throughout star trek i feel like it's really mm-hmm. exemplified here 
Whatever. And, and and there's a lot to be said for that. I, I'm sure it's, um, it's you know when, when when you're busy and you're having a tough day or a tough week or a tough year, <laughs> sometimes as many of us had, you're like, man, it'd be nice just to just to coast, just to get up every day and have all your needs taken care of and not worry about a thing. But that'll drive a guy crazy, you know. I mean, it's 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 hard for us to have that perspective in our, you know, in our day to day life. But that's the great thing about fiction, especially you know, highbrow science fiction. You know, what if scenarios. You know, taking something like Star Trek, and that's what it's all about, taking these everyday situations, putting them these fantastical uh, these fantastical trappings around it and letting you see kind of some truths of life that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see because you're so caught up and, you know, got your day-to-day blinders on about getting through the grind. But, um, but yeah, no, I think there's a lot to be said about that because we, we grow through struggle. You know, we, without it, we stagnate, and then, and then you are just existing. You're just going through the motions, you know, and, and no, nobody wants that, so... I would, well, first of all, everything you just said was said very well, and I enjoyed listening to it. I don't agree with that last statement. Um, but you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I will say that there are many people that feel that they're entitled to a life of coasting and um, uh, an entitlement versus the struggle and effort. And, you know, I, I see that every day. Um, there's there's a good mix out there of, of folks. Uh, so I think that the more struggle you do take away, the less you grow. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I see a lot of lack of maturity and things because of what people have or have not or, or have decided that, I guess, you know, they're entitled not to have to struggle or, or to work through things or to be victimized. And, um, and there are true victims of true things. Don't get me wrong here, but there are also people that have that mindset uh, that they're do something for lack of effort. Not, you know, I guess unentitled self, a uh, 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 sense of achievement, mm, right? right. Um, you know, I, I, I think of uh, <laughs> a lot of people in Hollywood have that, have that problem. Anyway, uh, one of the things, I, the one last thing I wanted to, to tap on, and then we can get more, maybe a little more technical and mm-hmm. light, was the Zephyrin Cochran journey. I, I, when you were talking about existing and all those other things and immortality, it's kind of funny that at 87 years old, he was done. Uh, you know, he had been through a lot in his life and, you know, I guess as a, as a big celebrity, at least in earth corners, right. Um, he, he wanted to just die alone at 87. So he, he got in a ship or whatever and just set a course and was content. He had lived his life and now he just wanted to pass peacefully. And before he could die, the companion captures him, lack of a better term, brings him back to the, you know, rejuvenates him back to a younger age, and he's been alive now another additional 150 years. And now he's good with aging and, and willing to, um, to be mortal again and, and, and die again. So <laughs> it is kind of a, an odd story of, you know, being at peace with death, then coming to terms with immortality, and then coming back to peace with the fact that he will now die. And I thought that that, that also was kind of a, a brilliant concept in of itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like what Star Trek does. It makes you think a lot. And um, that, that certainly made me think a lot. It's, it's, it's like, man, that is really, that's a crazy journey. And even though we talk about timelines being whatever it is, 87 years old plus 150 now he's in his mid-30s or whatever he's probably got another 40 years left you know one thing you can say for sure all of that's going to go by in an eye blink and somebody that's going through that experiences realizes that so 
Um, he has definitely got many, many fewer days ahead than he had behind, and yet he was still willing to make that kind of a sacrifice for love. So that's that's pretty intense. Yeah, and you know, and uh, people could see it kind of as a, as a light switch, maybe at the end with him changing his opinion. But I, I don't see it that way because obviously he he really struggles with throughout the episode, like what his relationship with the companion is, and he's like, well, I you know, I, I care, I care for it. You know, he calls it it the whole episode up until the end because that's just that's his mindset the whole time. You know. Um, right, but yeah, I mean, it's like you know, it's it's like when when of course you know you could say it's shallow or whatever, but when when she fuses with uh, the commissioner and it's like, oh well, she's a woman now, now I can love her. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's true though. Like 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 there was a de- it's like a Little Mermaid situation here, right? This is like a sci-fi little. It's a sci-fi Little Mermaid, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sci-fi Little Mermaid. <laughs> it's true because you know that it's 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 not it it it's they're incompatible in their current situations and um you know in this episode handles that story a lot better than the little mermaid does i think I, because i mean come on like giving up your voice uh, just to have some legs to marry some guy you met once i mean come on the companion Stephen cochran have a much deeper romance than prince eric and the ariel in my opinion well you know zach i i want to say for the last 25 years i think metamorphosis and the little mermaid debate has finally been settled <laughs> <laughs> and you've done a good job Thank with it. You. I'm going to align myself with you now. We're probably going to get a lot of hate mail on Facebook from those Little Mermaid folks, but um, no, I think you, I think you nailed it. Yeah, because they have they have had a, a a very deep relationship over the last 150 years. I mean, who knows what kind of like? How, I mean, they're, they're connected like emotionally and mentally. Like she literally envelops him, and they have that. You know that, that those moments together. I don't know how often. Who knows? But it, it, I, I did. I did find it interesting how, you know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy see them uh, for the first time communicating, uh, having communion, whatever kind of terminology you want to use, and they're like, "Ooh, that's that seems much deeper than a than a pet and master, almost like love." It's like, really? Can you can you take that from that one little like? <laughs> Just seeing that guy being enveloped by a cloud for a couple of minutes, you can analyze all that. I'm not. Sure. I think that was kind of jumping to conclusions uh, for them, anyway. Maybe. But they've, you know, they've Maybe. seen they've seen a lot of stuff in the 23rd century. Maybe they, they're better judges judges of it than we are, right, Ken? Well, yeah. Well, one because Cochrane never uh, acknowledges or, or identifies it with it that way. It it could be quite eye opening with a different set of eyes looking at it from afar, like McCoy. Because they all, I think, kind of picked up on it. The only one who really didn't pick up on it was Cochrane, right? He just just didn't, you know, for whatever reason, which I find kind of strange. But that's okay. All right, so um, let's let's go on to something a little bit lighter, kind of fun. Let's talk about the uh, the super cool Universal Translator. Yeah, so this is something new that uh, obviously they had developed between Zephyr and Cochrane's time and TOS's time. Now, now we had seen something like this in arena you know when the the gorn and kirk are talking to each other as recorders i I had always assumed that was translating their their different languages so they can understand each other and and this device looks pretty much the same uh this this tubular object with a little little speaker at the end of it it looks it looks pretty cool you know when when i was a kid i had one of these telescopes that um like a mini telescope with like the double mirrors on it you could peek around corners and all kinds of cool stuff like that and i remember that remember these props on star trek always reminded me of that so i carried around and act like it was like some kind of universal translator or something but but it's it's a genius concept you know i'm I'm still waiting for them to be like a have a babble fish earpiece i could put in and not have to learn another language because that'd be very helpful uh <laughs> because i i can't tell you 
how many years I took in school for Spanish, and I live in Texas, and I still can barely speak it, and I feel like I should be a lot more <laughs> fluent in it. Yeah. Come in handy down here. Yeah, but they took it to a whole different level in this episode, and what I mean by that is, you know, all the stuff we have today is translating known languages with known definitions. There's nothing. There's, there isn't a language here that can't be translated. There are words that probably don't marry up word for word, but you can get the, the – it's, it's very technical. It's literally taking this word and saying this means that. What I liked about this episode in explaining the universal translator, which we don't get a lot of in track, right? We get a lot of techno babble, but a lot of it doesn't make sense. This one, you know, um, in this episode, they say there are universal concepts in what beings – um, translate or what they mean through brain waves. Huh. It wasn't through their actual speech. It was through their thought. It was through the energy that they're putting out. So somehow it captures that and is able to then translate it into a common language. And that to me was what the difference maker was in this episode as far as what that translator could do. So like I said, it, it's it's pretty neat because in any language, I guess you could you can find, you know, there, there's Latin based language, there's others. Um, you can kind of find where the, where the root is and work your way backwards. But if you're coming against, uh, you know, kind of like uh, Spock doing a mind meld with a whale, huh. you have to translate what it's thinking uh, into words that make sense so that both can identify uh, with, you know, what, what what's happening. And that was the element that, I'll be honest with you, until I rewatched this episode— I didn't realize that's what the translator did, and that's how it functioned. I thought it was kind of, hey, it's it's a it's a super, you know, we can hold all this information in these little bitty microchips. God knows what we'd be able to contain, huh. you know, uh, 300 years from now. Uh, all these different languages and so forth, and it just instantly translates based on what has already been figured out between, you know, two beings or, or whatever. This is different. The translator does not work that way. Huh. And I thought that is that is really sci-fi. Yeah, that's right? a universal <laughs> concepts coming through brainwaves in order to translate into language. That's pretty. Well, neat. That, that's a great point because he acts. You know, after they talk to the companion the first time, Cochran's like, "Why do you have the female voice on that thing?" And they're like, "That's that's just how she talks, man. She's a female. That's how it works. So uh, right. it's not like you're talking into Siri, right? And it just regurgitates what you say. Yeah, um, definitely, yeah, feminine, definitely, right? definitely, definitely, yep. definitely feminine. So." That that's a great point, and, and you know, you think about translating other you know entities down the road. I mean, I, I think about one of my favorite episodes of Next Gen is uh, Silicon Avatar, and they try to talk to the you know crystalline entity, right? And they're trying to like you know they use pulses and other forms of communication, and 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 that, that that's such right. a cool thing about Star Trek, and and I'm glad that this episode came around to that, right? And, that, and again, as we're talking about, like this is a very this is about as Star Trek as episode you could get. You have the the initial like okay, we have an obstacle, we have to defeat it. Okay, well that doesn't work. So now we have to communicate with it. So we we see all the approaches to this, and 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 I like that you know they were forced to actually communicate with it. And um, yeah, that's a uh, th- there were some bigger concepts there that I hadn't really until you kind of laid it out that weekend. I hadn't really thought about like what what they're implying with with that stuff and that technology. I'm here for you, buddy. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> anyway, the 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 other thing that I thought was um, a big part of of what carries on in Star Trek was. We, we get a better sense of the size and scope of the Federation in this episode, right? For really the first time. Yeah, a thousand yeah, worlds the, and they're growing fast, is what Kirk tells him, right? Yeah, a thousand worlds and that we believe that there are millions and, and most of it completely unmapped, which we understood that was their, their central mission. 
was to go out and explain these explore explore explain explore these strange new worlds and and all of that but a thousand planets so now okay you know that there's a lot more than just kind of the ones that the the, the half a dozen or so that we're introduced to in the um, in the original series as far as being core right uh-huh. the Vulcans and the Andorians and you know the Romulans and the Klingons and all that stuff and I know the other two are not Federation I get that but anyway I'm just saying that uh, okay that's a that's a thousand planets that are part of the Federation, which I took it to mean, you know, are, are not a pre-warp civilization, right? Um, unless there's a thousand planets that are under their protection, you know, something along mm. those lines. Like they're, they're in Federation space, but they're left alone. That could be it, too. Anyway, um, I thought I thought that was, that was kind of a, a cool learning from this episode. I remember when I first watched it a long time ago, I was like, ah! Okay, the Federation. It's not like fifty planets like the United States. Huh. It's a thousand planets and growing. You know that that, that to me was like a, a big aha moment back in the day, and I remembered it, it actually triggered that memory back just watching this episode again. Yeah, lots of universe building here. You know, as far as scope of of scope, as far as the 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 actual physical uh, presence of the Federation, and then you have you know as we just talked about the Universal Translator, which is a tool that truly introduced in this episode that continues on and they talk about for you know, years and years and years on Star Trek and becomes more and more compact I believe like I don't, I'm not sure <laughs> you know is in, well, even in their in, communicators in the, in the future I don't even know like <laughs> in the in the novelization of Star Trek the motion picture um, there's there's an implant mm. right so that that communications and you can even visualize um, things happening so I remember uh, when Roddenberry wrote that, that there was, you know, Kirk was on Earth, some other area. I don't know if he was in the Mediterranean or something. It's been a long time since I've read the book. But anyway, um, what was happening with the Klingons and, and V'ger and all that stuff was being transmitted into into his mind. And he could actually visualize what was happening. Hmm. And it be, I think probably because of that book and then when we got into TNG, I assumed the Universal Translator was... You know, like a chip inside uh, your 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 body going forward. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Because I think in, in Deep yeah. Space Nine and uh, Little Green Man, in the episode where Quark and them go back in time, like aren't they like yeah. digging in their ear to like mess with the Universal Translator? Now that I think about it, I uh, something yeah. like yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> oh yeah. man. So 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 we have you know that uh, technology scope, and then also we have historical scope for the next uh, historical scope for Star Trek franchise. Because we meet Zephyr Cochran and we find out he's the inventor of warp drive, and he's this—it's like—it's like if one of us met the Wright brothers or something, right? That's, that's the equivalent. Somebody that completely changed the game as far as technology goes, and uh, and you know, and that's the thing about the original series. You know, as it goes on, these little these little bits and pieces and nuggets about about the uh, the history of the future, uh, as as the coin as the, as the term is coined, the phrase is some you know these phrases mess me up, man. But anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally, like, like I believe the the Star Trek chronology, right? That was like the subtitle when the Wakudas first came out with it, right. like the history of the future. And I like that, and that's right. a very interesting time. I mean, and Enterprise tapped into that, you know, that that gap between the modern day and then the original series of Star Trek as we were first presented to it, and all these historical figures, like, man, like, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in most Star Trek fans, like, you know, characters like Zeph from Cochran, and you know, more than you know, people that might be in real in real history, you know. <laughs> so, yep, it's what we do, man. It's all part of the game. So, and, how do you think that, how okay. do you think that lined up for him in uh, First Contact? 
It didn't align that well. I think that for all the original uh, Star Trek fans, the original story fans, now First Contract's the best movie of the TNG era and, uh, and, and one of the best Star Trek films overall. And I liked his character. I liked the way James Cromwell um, played him. And and I will notice that the actor, and I don't know who played it in the in Metamorphosis. Uh, got, him Glenn, that Glenn Corbett to. was his name. Glenn Corbett. He was a pretty tall guy, too. You know, not quite as uh, lanky as James uh-huh. Cromwell, but but tall. And, um, you know, very good-looking, you know, very masculine type, as you, leading mannish type actor from the from the 60s. Cromwell was not that at all. Um, and, and played him very, very different from how we knew him uh, in, in the original series. So there wasn't much of an effort, I think, to tie the two, but that's okay. I mean, it, it, it was neat just calling back to Zephyrm Cochran and pulling it all together. And, uh, they, they did a brilliant, well, you know, I mean, he was, Cromwell, he was, Cromwell played it brilliantly. I thought it was, it was oh, great. Oh yeah, he, he was know? great. And he was playing an older Zephyrm Cochran, you know, I mean, obviously he'd getting rejuvenated by the companion here. So you can, you can fanboy your way around any inconsistencies. The one thing, though, I will pick before you go on too mm-hmm. far, though, the one thing that did that picked up consistency, right, is in the very beginning, of course. You know, here's Zephyrin Cochran. He's been on this planet for 150 years or so, and and he sees a woman, yeah. right? And um, and those instincts, I, I, I can't say that they were wrong or right. I'm just saying that's, you know, 150 years all by yourself. Um, he was happy to see everybody, and he actually says that. He says, and to be here with a beautiful woman... And all of yeah. you, you know, he says afterwards. But I, it's like, yeah, I know where your priority is, buddy. It probably would be for any <laughs> any guy, and probably the other way for a woman. I, I don't think that would be that different. But you kind of get a hint that that he, um, you know, he <laughs> because that was definitely a part of his character in first. Yeah, contact he, he liked was, the ladies for sure. He liked the ladies, and he, he was look, you know, he, he was doing it for money and and, and girls, right? And uh, well, and I, uh, I like the reluctant hero aspect they incorporated in First yeah. Contact, where he's like, "Look, man, I don't want to, I don't want to be a statue," you know. <laughs> so I, uh, I I like that, and and um, they uh, they mentioned Cochran over the years, you know, that you know, the various terminologies, like, "Oh, how how many Cochrans is he is he moving?" and stuff like that. So um, they kept the name alive, you know, in. in the next gen era until we actually meet him again in first contact so it's just a cool just a cool call back to uh to the you know this often overlooked original series episode that the that is extremely important in the, in the tapestry of the whole franchise and he knew what a vulcan was yeah that's true <laughs> so right it, it did pull that element together because when he saw a spot he said, you're a vulcan right and um we we really didn't have an idea at this episode when uh, all these people had met, and I thought, you know, watching this again, thinking about First Contact, it's like, hey, these guys did their homework. Mm-hmm. They put it all together. So First Contact with a Vulcan made a lot of sense just based off that tiny little Yeah, scene. even though he was from an earlier time, he had definitely, you know, encountered aliens before, So and Vulcans being one of them. So, do you, you, you know, when, when, you, when you saw First Contact for the first time, were you wondering who the aliens were going to be? That he, no. You, no. you knew it was Vulcans? I, I, that, that was not a shock to me at all. <laughs> When it, when I when I'd seen, it, I was like, "Oh man, who are they going to be?" All right? And they walked down, they got the hood on, and they go, "Oh, that's a Vulcan." So that got me. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Then in Enterprise, he shoots. Yeah. Well, that's in a different universe, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but which universe? What if that was our universe? Oh man, so many. Uh... Too many, I thought there's only one timeline, Ken. What happened to that? That was easier to. There is. That's that's my point exactly. So you know, all the rest, of, all of it, all the rest of it is fantasy within the yes, fantasy. I yes. just want to let you know that. Okay. Anyway. But yeah, the uh, yeah, just 
again, everybody's behavior in this episode is spot on. You know, I, I actually thought um, th- their suspicion, you know, you talk about when Cock and Frost shows up, he's like, hey, well, hey, guys, what's up? And Kirk's just kind of, they're all just kind of looking at him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's, hey, that's a nice ship you have there. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> because they've just been they just been kidnapped by this guy, and they're very suspicious of, of what's going on. I thought just everything was so, all everybody was spot on this, in this episode. Everything was so well played. Um, and just mm-hmm. thinking about other other points to discuss, you know, I think, um, you know, when when Spock was trying to fix the shuttle and the companion comes over to him, you know, I was like, is he going to try to mind meld with the companion? Because because he was like waving his arms around at it, you know. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. something he's done about. He does it with the Horda, obviously. Uh, and that's another another mm-hmm. similar theme here, you know, with a, a, a different form of life they don't understand that you have trouble communicating with. I, I thought I, I thought he might try to mind meld with it, you know, as he does on occasion. <laughs> but I mean, he does it with Nomad. He does it with. Um, Viger, so uh, he he didn't try that here, because maybe he would nope. have if he didn't get immediately electrocuted when he tried to touch it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, I thought it was going to go down that path, but never did. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, he came up with what he thought was the concept to to at least hurt it or disable mm-hmm. it, finding out that um, you know it just had a quite you know interesting experience, you know. And again, yeah, it's, With, it's uh, spot spot yeah. on character, like Spock and McCoy talking about that. It's like he almost died, and he's like, "Well, it's fast, most fascinating." <laughs> this is exactly, oh, yeah. it's know, exactly how he would an react. An electric yeah. shot of considerable yeah. voltage. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and throughout the episode, he's just so in character. Like <clears throat> Kirk's talking to the companion, he's like, "Oh, Captain, asking about asking about where it's from, and there's so much to be learned here." And Kirk's like, "Now's not the time, Spock." You know, and uh, it's just that mm-hmm. scientific curiosity that this continues, and that's what you need. You know, I think even even just small lines like that inform the character so much. You know, of like of where his mindset is and where he's coming from, as opposed to you know what a, what a standard you know space adventure would be. You know, uh, that, that's just that, that's the unique stuff that makes Spock such a such a unique character, really. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said at the very beginning, I thought everybody was in character. The um, the shots aboard the Enterprise, it's all they were almost done as an afterthought. <laughs> it's like hey, the, this episode's and running a little short. We need to can we get James and Michelle in here? It was. <laughs> And it was choppy. It was almost as if they didn't rehearse it. You know, I, I just, it, it is funny. I, I do watch those episodes with a, um, a sort of reverence, right? Reverence, because I, I love the, the team, the cast, and all this other stuff. Uh, and then sometimes, it, everybody obviously plays with the way Kirk acts and his mannerisms. I, I always thought it's what defined the character, right? I, I enjoyed it. I, I never came across to me as being phony acting. It's just his, his mannerisms, and people have them. But watching the just just the interactions between Uhura, Scotty, and and Sulu, it was like, wow. Um, I think I, I think Vic's team did a better job than they did, <laughs> and and Vic's team's very talented. Don't get me wrong, but they're all professional actors. And I was like, man, this is, is like, ooh, you're right. They should have just um, used the communicator and when they were in range, you know, hey, we followed your trail, yada, yada, yada. You know, <laughs> it's like, great, here we are. Take us up. <laughs> they didn't need to go back to the ship. It, there's actually a gap at one point with Ahura in one of the lines, and I just, like, was shaking my head going, oh, boy, that was bad. Um, it was almost yeah, like she, was, she had to remember the words she had to use versus cut it and have her do it again. You know, it popped back into her head, and I, and she said it, and it was like, man, this is choppy. It's just weak. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but you're right. I remember that now that you're now that you mentioned that, I do remember there was something felt off. About, in addition to my my always criticism of these of these scenes of like they, they don't the Enterprise crew, they don't accomplish anything in these scenes. They're just going in circles. Um, in addition to that, they did feel kind of shoddily put together. So. Yeah, yeah. So I I think the 
the focus that they they put on the the planetary scenes were perfect, well acted, very artistic as you said, and and very well done. And then the shipboard stuff. It's it's just funny how the dynamic changes when the big three are not on mm-hmm. the bridge. It's just not quite the same, and yeah. um, it's it's too bad. But at any rate, still overall uh, a a great episode. Uh, a lot that that comes from this, and uh, I I I. I'm thrilled that uh, you came up with this idea to, to talk about this. And uh, like I said, we were going to do it as an Origins episode, but it turned out being more of a uh, of a review. And um, I'm glad we did it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and just to wrap it all up, I really feel like this distills and perfects a lot of concepts from Star Trek previous to this and after this. You know, you have isolated guy with a with an alien so you get something like you know man trap situation going on there you have a life form you don't really understand kind of like the horta you have you know just the the exploration of immortality which is something they do with a lot of characters like mm-hmm. you know flint and uh requiem for methuselah for example and then they uh, uh just the just the, the relationships that, that 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 people have you know and, and and their need for companionship and their need for struggle and all that just just seems to come up again and again and again over star trek uh and, and and ultimately, even coming from a place of conflict, you end up in a place of understanding, right? And that's what Star Trek is all about as well. So just across the board, again, if there's like a, a pack of episodes, you you hand if there's a Star Trek pamphlet that you hand out, you know, on the on the street to convert people to to Trekkie to be a Trekkies, this episode will be in that in that packet that you hand out. So yes, absolutely. Well, metamorphosis isn't the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm earl gray oh and rocks do you see rocks came out of the yes, tunnel yeah. <laughs> I, I love that that, that in the, and next the first thing he, and okay. the first thing he grabs is the don't <laughs> <laughs> no, forget but that the, it blew up but, the, <laughs> but those but, but those rocks every time you see something like that you can't forget that somehow there are rocks in the tunnel just like in yesterday's enterprise when the enterprise c gets hit and there are rocks that fall from the ceiling on the bridge yeah. That's right. There's rocks right. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah the tunnel's as, made of rocks. They use it as insulation. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I'm going to say, because I can't think of anything, honestly, off the top of my head, excluding the movies, I think that this may be, like, the single best directed episode of Star Trek in history. Continuing mission. Yeah, so let's just talk about the awards per se, because tell us how you heard about the fact that you won an award and then um, you you went, oh, that's great. And then you realized what competition you were up against, not knowing that you'd been in the competition in the first place, but when you realized who had been the other nominees... That's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. So I got, I got a Facebook message um, from one of the organizers of, of the awards after it, it happened, and they said, oh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you won two awards. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that there was an awards thing, and I didn't even know we were nominated, and it turned out we were nominated for seven um, categories. The 602 Club. I, I will say that... Um... The audience I saw this with uh, was extremely receptive uh, to the film, uh, especially by the end, uh, in, in the ending battle. 
And the, the reason I go there immediately is we're sitting here, we're talking about, you know, sort of the structural issues and, and taking these things apart. Yeah. But I will say that uh, the audience I was with seemed to go along with it anyway. So yeah. that by yeah. the end, there were people cheering and happy yeah. with yeah. everything. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was surrounded by people and I remember looking around and saying, wow, positive crowd. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and of course in the Babel Conference. Type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, You'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. Norman Lau, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so, Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I, when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at BostonSCPO. And we, uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as well, as well as our colleagues. So look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>